0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, this week we continue our series, Remaining Steadfast in Distressing Times. So turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Do Not Hopelessly Grieve.
1: When my wife Kathy and I were newly married, you know, we often talked about how wonderful it would be to be alive when Jesus returned. You know, we imagined holding hands and seeing the clouds parted and rising to meet the Lord in the air. You know, We're a good deal older now, and I find we talk less you know, about being alive when the Lord returns. And it's, it's not as if we don't believe it could happen. But we do realize that there is more roadway behind us on this earthly journey than there is roadway ahead. And it's important to live in anticipation of our Lord's return. You know, when Paul began his letter to the Thessalonian believers, he made mention of what he called the steadfastness of their hope, or what can also be called the perseverance of their hope. Hope always refers to our confidence that he who was raised from the dead will also come again. Even though Paul had only been in Thessalonica for a short period of time, it seems clear that he must have told them about the second coming of Jesus. And all of that was a part of their basic training. But please remember the context. It had not yet been 20 years since Jesus had died and rose again when the Thessalonians heard the good news. So understand that Jesus had said that that no one would know the day or the hour of his return. And so the believers did what believers are supposed to do. They lived with an eager expectation of his return. And Well, I need to stop here and explain something to those who doubt that after 2,000 years of expectation, whether or not we might have been wrong to live in the expectation of the Lord's return. I mean, why has this event not happened in 2,000 years? And it is a good question, and it does require an answer. Well, I guess the first and easiest answer is that Jesus gave no date, nor did he indicate how long this matter would be. Second, we do know that that God reckons time very differently than we do. 2 Peter 3 verse 8 says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Yeah, the eternal one does reckon the passing of the years from a very different vantage point than from you and I. But there's a third reason for the lengthy delay in the Lord's return, and, and that has to do with our Lord's agenda it was always the plan of the Father, that his family would be built from every nation and race and tribe and tongue. And Jesus himself did say, and here I'm reading from Matthew 24:14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, We never know when that task is done, but evidently it's not done yet, and God is determined that this task must be completed. Now, back to the Thessalonian Christians who are, you know, just a little shy of twenty years after Jesus had died and rose again and had ascended to heaven, with a promise that he would return, that he would reign as king and lord of the entire earth, and, and the Thessalonians were excited. As to proclaiming the gospel to all ethnic groups on the face of the earth, well, that thought was one that they were not yet equipped to handle, but they did know that he was returning. And so in their deepest hours of what Paul called much affliction, they hung on to the promise and they moved forward. It wouldn't always be difficult. Their best days were surely ahead. They would see Jesus parting the clouds, the nations mourning, and then taking his seat as King and Lord over this world. In the meantime, some of the new Christians in Thessalonica had died. We don't know how many. There couldn't have been that many. And we also have no reason for believing that these deaths were the result of persecution. That kind of persecution was to come later. But for now, people whom they knew and loved and who had been also with them awaiting the Lord's second coming. These people had died, and it now became clear that these people would never see the second coming of Jesus. And we have no reason to believe that the Thessalonian believers doubted that their loved ones who had died had gone to heaven. But their hope was so thoroughly and completely wrapped up in the second coming of Jesus so that these believers grieved deeply Their loved ones would not be there with them when the clouds were parted. They would miss the greatest moment in history, and they mourned, and they mourned almost inconsolably. You might remember that when we started this study, we said that because of the brief stay that Paul had in Thessalonica, that he was unable to finish their basic Christian training. And so, there were gaps in the knowledge that these believers had— Regarding the second coming of Jesus and what should occur, should they die before he returned? Would these dead believers have missed the greatest moment in human history? And with that in mind, let's now read 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We can, I think, divide this passage into four sections. You know, verse 13 is the introduction to the problem. Here's where the Thessalonian Christians needed understanding. And then the second section, that's verse 14, that's the good news that those who have died really haven't missed out on anything. And then next, the third section, that's in verses 15 to 17, is that missing teaching that Paul had been unable to complete while he was with them. What happens to the dead in Christ? And then fourth and finally, there's an encouraging exhortation. Here's what you need to do to encourage each other when a believer dies. So let's start at the beginning. The introduction of the problem, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know, it might have been that at the funeral of fellow believers, the grief had been profound. And, you know, that's not unusual. All of us who have lost loved ones know the profound nature of grief. And to be truthful, grief is not wrong for a Christian. Death is a part of the fallen order, and we do mourn even as we hope. And that is the issue. It is possible to grieve and to hope at the same time. You know, the difference between the two is probably taken up in the word uninformed. You know, it simply means that they haven't learned all there was to know about the circumstances surrounding those who had died in Christ. They needed to learn and to grow. And by the way, that's also true of us. Wherever there are gaps in our understanding of the gospel, we need to. It's a demand that we fill in those gaps, and especially about the fate of those who have died in Christ. We shouldn't wait until we attend a funeral. We should learn now so that when we grieve, we will be hopeful grievers. There are a great many people who have stumbled over the use of Paul's words, those who are asleep. Now, if you look ahead to chapter 5, verse 10, you're going to find that Paul uses those same words again. Indeed, he uses the same word to fall asleep in 1 Corinthians 15. Luke uses those same words concerning the death of the first Christian martyr, who is Stephen. That's recorded in Acts 7. And Peter uses the term in 2 Peter 3, verse 4. So it was a common New Testament way of speaking about death, to fall asleep. So here's the question. Why is sleep an appropriate metaphor for death? Well, the answer, at least in this passage, is that the metaphor reminds us that when people sleep, they will awaken again. Sleep isn't final. In the same way, death for us is not final. Sleep is temporary and anticipates the time when the morning comes and the sleeper rises. In all Christian thinking about death, that's central. You know, but in our day, there are those who argue that those believers who have died or have fallen asleep, they will say, well, sleep here means unconsciousness. So the idea is that to sleep is to become unconscious, waiting to be wakened back to life at the second coming of Jesus. You know, as tempting as it is to discuss that matter here, it's important to take note that this was not the issue that the Thessalonians were wrestling with. Instead, the Thessalonian believers were so aware of and anticipating the second coming of Jesus that they were overcome with grief when some of their own died. They had, as you know, I explained about that very young John and Kathy Newfeld, that we had been eagerly expecting the second coming of Jesus. And so how is Paul to deal with this? Well, he announces good news. Those who have died are not missing out on anything. Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And the key to understanding that is to find out what Paul means when he says,
0: bring with him. Sarah wrote, Dr. Newfeld brings scripture to life with depth, practicality, challenge, and hope. The world has changed. Technology has made everything closer. Ministries have changed and yet Back to the Bible has remained constant in its values and teaching. You do a marvelous work and I look forward to hearing you every day. Well, messages like this help us feel we're hitting the mark. And with God's blessing, people of every age and background are being impacted through faithful Bible teaching. Our special thanks to all those who listen and support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. So please continue to stand with us with your prayers and gifts and Back to the Bible Canada will continue to do all it can to impact lives with the gospel. You can join us in this effort with your financial support by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca.
1: You know, I've said that the key to understanding 1 Thessalonians 4:14 is the phrase bring with him. You know at first sight, you know we might scratch our heads. I would think it should read, "We believe that Jesus died and rose again even so through Jesus God will raise with him those who have fallen asleep." You see the issue? If the Thessalonian believers were weeping without hope over those who had died, Well, we might have thought that their problem was that they weren't assured of the resurrection of their fellow believers who had died. And in that case, perhaps they thought, you know, if you die before Jesus returns, maybe you're just gone. But if that was the problem, Paul would have assured them that all who had died in Christ would be raised in Christ. But that's not what he's saying here in our text. So clearly, that wasn't their problem. They, that is, the Thessalonians, believed that those who died went on to be with the Lord. Look at the sentence again, through Jesus, which in this case means through the agency of Jesus. The Father will bring with believers who have fallen asleep, these believers will be brought with him. That means when Jesus returns, the asleep believers will be returning with him. So, let's be clear. Verse 14 begins with the words, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, that, of course, is a fundamental Christian belief. Since we believe that, something follows. Again, as I've said before, we would have expected that Paul would have said, Well, now, this leads us to believe that we also, like Jesus, will rise from the dead. But look, he doesn't say that. Instead, he surprises us. Instead, from the assurance of the resurrection comes the assurance that we will be with Christ when he returns. So a great many Bible teachers have pointed out that that Paul may well have been alluding to Zechariah 14, verse 5, which says, Then the Lord God will come and all the holy ones with him. And so Jesus comes a second time. Fulfillment of the prophecy. He's joined by his holy ones and, says, Paul, among those holy ones who join him. Well, those friends of yours who have died, they're going to be in that company. So don't weep as if they have missed the greatest moment ever. Instead, you should rejoice. They've got a better seat in this than you have. Okay, as we've seen, verse 13 has the problem. Some Thessalonian believers were weeping at the great loss that those believers who have died— would not be there at the second coming. Then second, Paul says, ah, clearly, I was unable to tell you a piece of information that you've been missing. They won't miss out on the greatest moment in history at all. Now comes the third and essential point. Let me fully fill in what what you're missing. So we begin with verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And when Paul says this is a word from the Lord, well, it is clear that Jesus didn't teach that matter in his earthly ministry, at least that's not recorded in the four Gospels. So I have to assume then that the word from the Lord that Paul speaks about is a part of that period of time in Paul's life that he mentions in Galatians when the risen Jesus mentored him over a period of time. And during one of those encounters, the risen Jesus told Paul what he now was telling the Thessalonian believers. So Paul then begins with, we who are alive. And again, please don't read into those words the idea that Paul thought that he would definitely be among those who are alive at the Lord's coming. You know, he simply means it generically. Whoever is alive when Jesus returns. Okay, very good. Whoever's alive when Jesus comes again, will not proceed or go ahead of those believers who have already died. Now, since, as we've seen, there were some things here that the Thessalonians already knew. They must have assumed that when Jesus returned, they would forever go to be with him. And of course, that is true. But what they might not have understood is that they thought the dead would be raised sometime after Jesus returned. It had never occurred to them that the dead would participate in the second coming of Jesus. So, you have to imagine the Thessalonian church gathered together on a Sunday, and they've just gotten the news that a letter has arrived from Paul. And now they gather in church, and they're hearing this news for the first time, and they're reeling. Oh, we didn't get that. You mean when you die, you join a great company in heaven waiting to follow Jesus on his earthly return. I mean, suddenly, the sorrow over the dead is removed. (laughs) Instead, they now realize the dead are in a favored position. Now to verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, before we get to that last phrase, that is, the dead in Christ will rise first, Will you just stop and marvel at the sound of the second coming? You know, first is the sound of the cry of command. You know, that cry seems to be the cry of the archangel. The archangel is the angel who is of the highest rank. So you have to imagine Jesus signaling that now is the time for his second coming, and instantly the highest ranking angel in the angelic corps, the angelic army, cries out and he signals all the host of heaven to fall in line and join him. Now we do know from Jude 9 and Daniel chapters 10 and 12 that an angel named Michael is given the title Archangel highest in rank. But the second coming of Jesus is also attended by the sound of the trumpet of God and in the ancient world, at trumpet, was not thought of as a musical instrument the way that we think of it, but rather trumpets were used to give signals. I In mean, ancient Israel, they gave the signal that it was a feast day, but in terms of battle, they also signaled army and battle formations. So the trumpet call is a battle call calling the host of heaven to follow Jesus. And by the way, the image of the angelic hosts and all the dead in Christ following Jesus together for the final battle, announcing the victory of our Lord. Well, that gets as, you know, it's just as hopeful as it gets. And then surprisingly, we hear the next words, the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, I say that's surprising because we've already been told that the the dead in Christ are coming with Jesus, and the image here is of them rising first. Now, Paul never resolves that for the Thessalonians. Of course, Paul does not indicate When they rise, it's clear he's speaking of the resurrection of their bodies, there would still be unanswered questions that the church would have had after this letter, but as we would imagine, the grieving would have lifted because of what Paul has just said. Now, with the advantage, of course, of later revelation, we can put these matters together We now know that all who die in Christ are immediately present to him and they await the resurrection of their bodies at the second coming. But Paul's not dealing with all of our questions here, he's he's dealing with only one issue. Are the dead in Christ to miss the second coming? And the answer is no. Indeed, they will receive a resurrection body sometime prior or immediately prior to the coming of Jesus. But their resurrection body will precede ours who are left alive. Now, verse 17. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, the word for caught up is a Greek word which speaks of suddenness. You know, sometimes in our language, we use the word rapture to describe that event. I know that sometimes believers in Jesus argue about the rapture, but in truth, We're not arguing about the reality of the rapture. We're only arguing about the timing of the rapture. But this text is not about timing at all. It simply says, when the Lord returns with his holy ones, we who are alive at the second coming of Jesus will suddenly and forcibly be lifted up and we will meet our Lord in the air. Notice two words here. The first is clouds. That probably refers to the glory that surrounds the second coming of Jesus. And the second is the phrase to meet. You know, in the ancient world, when a leading dignitary would arrive, the leaders of a city would go out of that city and go to meet that dignitary at the outskirts of the city and then walk with him, welcoming him into the city. That seems to be the sense here. You know, it may be that the Antichrist and his kingdom hate the returning Christ, but just like the ancient world, those favored in the city, in this case, the followers of Jesus, will arise and meet the Lord in the air and return with him. And with that, Paul returns to the reason he began to write. Some of the Thessalonian church were deeply grieved over the death of loved ones. But now, having explained matters, Paul says, verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's okay to grieve, indeed it's necessary to grieve, but it's also necessary to remind ourselves of the truth. And with that, I get back to a very young and newly married John and Kathy Newfeld. We might still get our hopes fulfilled that we might be alive when the Lord returns, that would be great. But having read this passage anew, I wanna think this, it's actually better to be among those
0: who return with our Lord. What encouragement indeed. John, you know, you've spoken so much about heaven. In fact, one of your most popular series is entitled Heaven. But I have a question. I'm not sure I've asked you this one before. Do we, who are living here on earth and those already passed away, do we continue to share anything in common? Yeah, we
1: share in common the common hope of the second coming of Jesus and the receiving of our new bodies. That is what we have in common, and we are awaiting together with them. Let's be very clear, however, on this matter, we don't communicate with them. Um, uh, There is a divide between us, and yet we know that we are one people with them. So,
0: I think that's the answer to that. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. You know, these difficult times, we're so grateful for those who stand with us, the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. You've ensured that in the midst of distressing days, trustworthy, relevant, and accessible Bible teaching continues to be offered every day. We're so grateful for your continued prayers and partnership. The month of June is one of the more critical financial months of the year for the ministries of Back to the Bible. And we know there are many because of the present difficult times who are unable to give. Please know we understand. But if you are able, your gift to help meet this important fiscal year-end goal by June 30th would be so appreciated. And remember, the ministry has been blessed this month to receive a $95,000 match pledge. So for every dollar you give, that gift is doubled up to $95,000. To offer a gift this month, call us, would you, at 1-800-663-2425 or give securely online back to the